say my name's Andrew, if you don't know who I am, and I've got the strange title of being the lay reader, which I often say is just really means I've got a piece of paper from the bishop which says that he's happy for me to stand here. There we are. Anyhow, so I've told you my name, and I've told you where we need to be, pages 1271 and pages 172. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Bible. We thank you for having spoken so clearly to us through these words. And therefore we pray, Lord, that we would listen uh, this morning. We would listen not only with our ears, but listen with our hearts, that we would have hearts ready to respond to what you are saying to us. Help us now this morning. Amen. It's good to have friends. I should say it's uh, good to have decent friends. And when I speak of having friends, I don't mean a large number of so-called friends on Facebook. I don't mean having followers on Instagram. I don't mean those type of people who we might call friends, although we've actually never met them. When I speak of friends, I mean proper, decent, close friends. I mean people who know you and people who will enrich our lives. People you can depend upon. They should be friends who can have a positive influence on our lives and on the lives of others. And of course, close friendships and relationships, they often come about by people sharing a common goal. As some of you will know, I still play cricket at my old age. But I do so mainly because I enjoy the friendship of the team, the banter we can enjoy during and after matches with my teammates. And it's also good, isn't it? It is good for Christians to continue to meet together, to be friends, to be friends with fellow Christians primarily to encourage one another. Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul speaks very highly of his friend, Titus. Titus is a, a really good teammate, a good colleague. Paul knows that Titus is fully trustworthy for the job he's about to enter into. Now, we've already heard about Titus back in, in chapter 7. Paul had said of Titus that he brought him great comfort when he joined him earlier. A meeting which Paul said made his joy greater than ever. And it's possible also that Titus had already travelled with Paul on one of his mission journeys. You will find him travelling with Paul in certain of his uh, other letters. But we're here in chapter 8, as I said, on pages 1271 and 1272 of the Pew Bibles. And our passage today, well, it began in verse 16, when Paul thanks God for Titus. He thanks God for Titus, knowing for certain that God has planted into Titus's heart the same godly concerns for other, others which Paul has. A little bit later, down in verse 23, uh, Paul describes Titus as his partner, by which he actually means his fellow worker in Christ, a person who he says is an honour to Christ. Paul says of Titus, he is someone who can be trusted for the same gospel-hearted service that Paul has been doing around these churches. 
And so Paul has just, he's got 100%, he's got full confidence in Titus, knowing that Titus is dependable and certainly on the same wavelength as Paul himself. Therefore, Titus is absolutely ideal for the task ahead of him, for sorting out the administration of the gift coming from the church in Corinth. Well, what an endorsement. What an endorsement. Titus is going to be Paul's representative at Corinth. Now, it's worth just remembering the context here of chapters 8 and 9 is that Paul is collecting money for the churches in Jerusalem and Judea. Now, those churches had seriously been under the cosh. They'd been under severe pressure in difficult situations. And it's not just rising energy prices in Jerusalem. These churches were in real serious need of help in many other ways as well. And when Paul first visited Corinth, the church had said that they were very eager, very eager to give money to help. And it appears they started a collection, but it also now appears that about a year or so later, they've not yet gone through with their promises. They hadn't yet gone through with their pledge to help. And you can contrast that with other churches in Macedonia who had already given, who'd been encouraged to give, having heard of the generosity that would be given by the Corinths, the Corinthians. So it's in these two chapters that Paul is encouraging the church to complete, to finish what they had started, to ensure money is collected and it is appropriately distributed. Titus was going to help with this vital task. Titus was the man, and praise the Lord, Titus did not even need to be asked to do the job. He wasn't hanging, he wasn't hanging around just waiting for somebody to push him in the right direction. Titus had enthusiastically responded to the challenge on his own accord on his own initiative. Did you see what was said in verse 17? For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Well, we can immediately pause there after that verse because isn't there a challenge here for all Christians? How do we respond to the needs of others in distress? You know, we see pictures on TV, which are very harrowing, aren't they? We receive emails, perhaps, from certain charities asking for help. Does that stir anything up in us? Does it lead us to prayer? Does that lead us to action? Do we, on our own backs, have that same enthusiasm as Titus was to jump in and help? Or do we only respond if we really are asked, if we... Uh, have that uh, spear put up our backside, whatever, you know, really sort of encouraged to, to do something? Or do we only do so grudgingly? Well, Titus welcomed that appeal with much enthusiasm. He jumped at the chance to help. Now, a lot has been said, hasn't it, of Paul's good friend, Titus. However, the following verses then speak of another believer also coming to help. Let me read verses 18 and 19. And... We are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. 
which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Paul doesn't name this fellow believer. Was that, was that an oversight on Paul's part? Had Paul forgotten his name? I'm, I'm dreadful with names. And uh, I always welcome those Sundays when we're forced to wear a name badge. Is Paul just the same? You know, some commentators suggest this believer might be Dr. Luke, who is the author of the Gospel Luke and the writer of Acts. But he's not named, is he? And I think that's intentionally. It's intentionally Paul does not name him because it's vital that the church realised that this believer is not a Paul appointment. This believer in Christ is not another representative of Paul who has his reference in his back pocket. Instead, this Christian believer has been appointed by the churches, praised by them for his service to the gospel. And this is why he compliments the team alongside Titus. Now, many businesses operate in a similar manner for top management. Now, yes, it's very good and appropriate that people progress up through the ranks to the boardroom. But also, it's good for certain businesses to have out an outside appointment to the board to complement the team. Now, why, why are they doing this? Look again at verses 20 and 21. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Christian giving needs to be above reproach. Looking after money for the church needs to be done with total transparency. And let me say that that's so important. I'm going to repeat that now because I think that really is the main point of what we're really getting through these verses this morning. That Christian giving needs to be above reproach. Looking after money for the church needs to be done with total transparency. And that means with openness with good communication and accountability. We need to be blameless, whiter than white in these matters, not just for the church to see, but for the whole outside world to also see. You see, some people might well have been questioning Paul's motive for raising this financial, uh, for raising this money. They might be questioning his methods for taking up this collection. However, Paul is ensuring that appropriate safeguards are in place to avoid any criticism in any way. Everything is going to be by the book. As this country has come out of lockdown, the papers have been seizing upon sleaze, haven't they? In particular, they love those stories of the government apparently awarding certain major contracts during the pandemic to companies known personally to individuals making those decisions. Especially we can read of PPE scandals, of perhaps inflated prices being paid, and equipment being brought, which in the end was useless and never used. But don't think the church 
is immune to these type of financial scandals. Sadly, <laughs> there are stories of church treasurers stealing money for their own use. I heard a story which made me laugh, but also made me cry. I read of a plumber, a plumber going in to fix the toilet of a church. And he found a loose tile in the toilet. And behind that tile, 500 envelopes with checks and cash. 500 envelopes with checks and cash. And if you look on, on Google, you could easily find stories of pastors around the world being millionaires by keeping money for themselves which has been raised for, them, for others. Now, would any of those scandals have happened with better transparency, better accountability? And that is why it is good to have proper procedures in place to safeguard money in a church, systems which are hopefully above reproach. Now, this is why in Christchurch, our treasurer, who's sitting over there at the moment, uh, he has to tell the PCC whenever money is being raised and what is being spent on. We've also got other people involved in, as part of that financial task, people who perhaps administer the regular giving and the gift aid that can be claimed. And that's why also we have to have an independent auditor in place to double-check everything, to check everything is above board, everything is whiter than white, everything is above reproach. Now, we might be thinking these, uh, these verses really just speak about how churches administer their money. But surely these verses also speak to us individually as well. So let me ask, if somebody looked at your bank balance, if somebody looked under your bed for that envelope of cash, would you be worried? Let me ask, if the boss looks at those expense claims, would there be any concerns? Let me tell you, we have a story of an individual who no longer works for us, let me state that. He came back from a trip and he included in his expenses certain visits to, um, let's just call it a seedy late night bar. Now those expenses were obviously not reimbursed to him. And the reason he was caught? Because the boss knew that bar as well. Well, we must be whiter than white. We must be above reproach. Amongst Christian people, there should not even be the slightest hint of concerns on finances. Verse 21 again, as Paul says, we are taking pains, pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. The collectors are coming. The best available team is being sent down to Corinth. We have Titus. We have this unnamed brother. Then in verse 22, in addition to these two believers, we have a third brother in Christ. Let me read verses 22 and 23. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great, of, of his great confidence in you as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and are an honour to Christ. You have the best possible team coming to collect this money. So, church in Corinth, how should you receive them? 
Look again at verse 24. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Give proof. Show me the money. Give the churches who are going to receive this gift the practical demonstration of your love and concern for them. Are we good at sharing? Let me admit, I love getting a Terry's chocolate orange in my Christmas stocking. I actually got two last Christmas. And as you know, you, you tap them, don't you? You unwrap them, and you've got all these different chocolate pieces. Ideal for sharing. But sorry, I have to admit, I find it difficult to offer those pieces around. And I, I, was, I was immediately, when I was thinking of that, I was immediately remembering a few years ago that Dawn French, of course, used to advertise. And what was her catchphrase? It's not Terry's, it's mine. Well, do, 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 we, do we hoard our own stuff? Is everything we get mine, mine, and mine only? Do you remember Gollum in The Lord of the Rings? That ring was precious, my precious. How are we? with our money. Well, God blesses us in so many ways. God gives us so much. God gave his son. He gave his life for us. It's therefore right, isn't it, to say thank you to God. It's right to demonstrate our love and gratitude to God by being generous, showing the same love and gratitude to others. Show me the money. Verse 24 again. Show these men the proof of your love. That's your love for God and your love for your fellow men and women of this world. Well, moving on, we've got five verses in chapter 9 to look at. And Paul goes on to say that, of course, he really should not need to be saying all of this to them. Now, when I read that, I sort of thought, is that just code for, really, I do need to remind you of this. Giving is how you can serve your fellow brothers. That's what he's saying to the church there. You gave, you, if you give generously to the poor churches in Jerusalem, the saints, as Paul, gives, as Paul says to them. Now, I should, of course, say that language here is not, and let me repeat the word not, to make them feel guilty in any way. Money should not be raised. People should not be begged to give out of some obligation. It must be willing. Christians should not be made to feel awkward, embarrassed and forced to give. And there are sadly very, uh, there's stories of some cults, aren't they? Uh, and uh, when people join, literally, the, the cult will hook straight into that person's bank account and just deduct money from the account. Christian giving needs to be made through joy. Our money should be given out of gratitude for what God has given to us. So if, for example, if we get a bonus at work, our immediate response should be, not praise myself, but praise the Lord. We need to, we need to then consider, in what ways can I give back to God out of this abundance he has given to me? God wants a cheerful giver. And we'll hear that verse next week. God measures us by the attitude of our heart 
rather than actually by the amount given. And Paul longs for the church in Corinth to complete the task and wants, he wants his boasting of them to be proven and not to be found hollow. He wants no one to come down to Corinth and find them unprepared, which could lead to him being ashamed of having said with great confidence that they would give. Well, our passage ends, chapter 9, verse 5, with, again, a summary of what we've been hearing about this morning. Let me read that to you. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the, precious, for the generous gift that you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Paul is not trying to order them to give against their will. He wants to stimulate them, to encourage them to do the right thing, to finish what they had started, to raise this generous gift to assist these other churches in need. To do this, he's got himself a reliable gang to help. He's got the right people for the task. The three of them, they're not all just his mates. Yes, Titus is his friend, but the other two brothers, they're appointed by the churches, churches themselves. He certainly doesn't want anything, anybody suspecting that Paul is, is taking money for himself, perhaps. Everything here must be above board, above reproach, whiter than white, with full transparency. Well, there's obvious lessons here, aren't there? Obvious lessons for us today in how we administer our money. Which people are the best option for this very important task? People who are commended by others who are reliable, who are trustworthy. It means, for example, uh, when, it, when we need to be taking good care when we're doing uh, things with money in this church. Well, for example, when we count the collection, there's always two people in the vestry afterwards, not one single person. But let me stress again, there are lessons here for the church, but there are lessons for us individually. We, ne we need perhaps to go away afterwards and think back to our own finances, to our own giving. Would anybody say that we give only grudgingly? If anybody actually would value any uh, guidance on how they might be able to give back to God, then please do speak to Paul, our treasurer, or any of us on the PCC. We can point you in the right direction. Well, as I close, let me say again, it is good to have good friends, good, decent friends, those people who we can depend upon to support us, but also to support others. It's good and it's right to have decent, godly people involved in important tasks, specifically here in the administration of church finances, people who are open and make all that they do as, tra as transparent as possible to make the process whiter than white. Well, these principles can certainly be applied to any task, really, in church, not just with money. In roles, we need people com committed to the task, people who are enthusiastic about what needs to be done. We need people who just don't do things grudgingly, but willingly. People who serve out of gratitude in response to the many ways God has served and provided for us. For God's uh, mercy and his love, is, is, it's received, isn't it? 
without, without measure. So let us also give in that same way, give mercy and love to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of this team of three who went to administer this important task. Thank you for Titus. Thank you for these two brothers with him. Lord, forgive us if we are reluctant to help others, if we are selfish with our, our time and our, and, our, and our money. Instead, Lord, please give us that same spirit of generosity. Give us hearts willing to respond to the needs of others. Thank you for what you have given to us. May we give it back to you. Amen.